0: Get in, buckle up, and join me in Disgraceland. Available right now, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Rockerola. I had a thing. Okay. Yeah, that's not the thing. Hmm. That's what we're going to start with. Hey, what's up? This is Chris Shiffett, and you're watching another fine episode of Shred with Shifty. Got something a little different for you today, exclusively on volume.com. We're going to look at some unreleased footage from the episodes we've already posted. Um take some questions from the people, and look at some versions you folks out there posted, learning the solos yourselves, and, uh, and do a little review on that. I gotta say, there's not enough of those. I was hoping there'd be more of those. We didn't find any for Rivers, none for Lindsey, but we found a couple for Alex, and they're great, so we're gonna show it. But I, I, I just wanna encourage everybody out there watching, that's the thing, learn the solo, and post it, and tag us, and then we'll make fun of you on shows like this at a later date. Come on, let's do it, people. All right, first. Uh, don't forget, follow me across all my social media. Go to chrisshiffatmusic.com. You can check my tour dates. You can pre-order my new record, Lost at Sea. You can get a bundle. Uh, You can sign up for Shifty's Tackle Shop, and you can look at my tour dates. We just announced October 6th at Antones for one of those ACL late night gigs with uh, with Ellis Buller down there. I think there's still tickets left for that. And uh, the matinee show in Chicago at Fitzgerald Sidebar with my buddy Jim Lindbergh from Pennywise. I think there's still a couple tickets left for that. Come out in pregame Riot Fest, pregame uh, ACL. It's going to be, both those shows are going to be great. And, um, and also, really wanted to say big thanks to everybody that came out for my West Coast shows. They were amazing, pretty much the best we've ever done, and we had a great time. So uh, we'll do that all again real soon. Absolutely amazing. All right, let's get to it. Let's take a look at some of the solos you posted. All right, our first solo today is from Luke the Animal Steel. Let's see how he did Limelight. Luke is smiling, he's confident, he's laying into that tremolo bar with conviction, I like it. Definitely helps to make up for his poor choice in lawyer guitars. I'm not going to hold against him, because he's ripping it. I would suggest uh, that Luke get himself a ring light, maybe add a little sizzle to his video. Oh yeah, closing out big, closing out big. luke Steele, solid let's see how robert connell did it <laughs> salute the way you totally disregard the phrasing of this solo and make it your own. And that upside down fender strap shows the world you're not living in society's lines. All right, Robert Connell, bonus points for wearing a Rush t-shirt. Nice work, buddy. Uh, Like I said, couldn't find anybody tackling Rivers or Lindsay, so, you know, we need you to keep them coming. All right, now, this next one isn't somebody actually tackling Limelight uh, and playing the solo, but it's a fantastic review of the episode from our new friend Tim from Kicking Herald.
0: Attention all planets of the Solar Federation.
1: I've got some Rush news. Alex Lifeson was just interviewed by Chris Shiflet from the Foo Fighters, and it is so good. It is so much more than an interview. Chris asks Alex to give him a lesson, and
0: Alex shows him how to play the Limelight solo, breaks it down lick by lick. He talks to him about his
1: gear, he talks to him about Rush. You can tell Chris is a deep fan of Rush. When he was asking questions, I was like, yes, that! Thanks, Tim. Hope you dig some of the other videos too. We got a bunch more coming. All right, so this next submission by Jeej, aka Jeremy, uh, is, again, he didn't tackle one of the songs that we've covered in the show, but he did one of my guitar solos from the Foo Fighters song, Long Road to Ruin, and he killed it. Did a really good job, which is not surprising because apparently this guy's in a Foo Fighter cover band. Let's have a look. That was great. I love that version so much that I duetted with him and did a harmony on my TikTok account. So go look for that there. Nice work there, Jeej. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back after this. All right, let's, uh, let's get into some of these unreleased guest questions from the episodes that we've already released. The first one's with Alex Lifeson. And it is Mr. Brendan Teeling asking if Alex was uh, rooted in the blues as an influence. Let's hear what he has to say.
2: I was definitely rooted in the blues. That, you know, Cream, that angle-sized blues, and Zeppelin, look at look what they stole. <laughs> no, that they stole everything from those old blues players. But that's where I learned how to play. That's where I learned those you know, scales. And then you could sort of go from wherever you want uh, once you have that fundamental understanding of how that scale works and works the way up the neck. Um, the mathematics is actually quite simple when you're when you understand how those scales work. They're they're very mathematical. And You know, with the guitar, it just it's the same process, but in different places. So. I would say definitely I, I started out in, that, in that, uh, that realm of blues. You heard it here first. Alex
1: Lifeson was indeed rooted in the blues. Take that, Brendan. All right, next up, my man Tim Hardiman wants to know about Alex's signature Epiphone guitar. And I piggybacked this with a question from uh, Lyndon606 about whether or not you can tell the difference between an Epiphone and a Gibson when you're at the elite pro level.
2: Let's hear what he has to say. So the Epiphone is identical to the Gibson. It's just, um, you know, the quality is, is a little different. It's a more economical guitar, guitar. It's a great beginner's guitar, but it has all the functionality that the Gibson has. Um, I would say the tone difference is minor, but it's apparent. It doesn't sound quite as tight and warm as maybe the Gibson does. And one to the other, it's going to be different anyways. You know, you can take five guitars from that particular model, and they're all going to sound different. And how you play it is going to affect that as well. But i got to say that the Epiphone's have come such a long way when they used to be known as just a cheap guitar. They're a real quality instrument now. They sound great they're getting better and better they're using better components better pickups all of that stuff the the workmanship on on these uh, Gibson's or on the uh, epiphones was striking I mean I was I was so impressed when I got the uh, the, the prototype I mean I, I couldn't fault it at all it was really well made and it felt great you know the neck felt good the action was great
1: yeah I have a signature telly through fenders matter of fact it's sitting right here um, that I always tell people um, Hey, look at that! Uh, the, I tell people, um, and this kind of goes back to what you were saying about your guitar being a tool. Like it, com- we made it, we we went to great lengths to keep this thing affordable, right? So it's not going to be the highest quality of every single thing on it. But like, just if you get it, then you do what you want to do to it. You change you put the pickups you want in it. You know what I mean? You change the pots to be the ones that you you know. It's just that's a starting point, and then you know. You can, you can kind of hot rod it to be whatever you want.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, there's been such a resurgence in guitar playing in the last couple of years over the period of the pandemic. All the guitar companies were couldn't keep stock. Everybody's at home deciding to learn how to play guitar. So it was, it was perfect for a, a guitar like the uh, Epiphone where it's an affordable model. It's a great beginner model. It's under a thousand dollars. You can get right into a good quality instrument. Uh, And and they were smart. I mean, things have really changed in that family, in the Gibson Epiphone family.
1: All right, make sure you order your own Alex Lifeson Epiphone signature model. It's a fantastic piece of gear. All right, let's move on to Rivers Cuomo from Weezer. I had a question for him about soccer. Let's see. I know you're a football fan, soccer fan, football fan. Who is your favorite footy team? Who do you support? I was a huge fan for many years. And what I really loved more than anything else was following the US national team. And I went to four World Cups and I'd see many of the other competitions and the qualifier games around the country. And it it was great to be a fan. Well, okay. Then you're an Arsenal fan. (laughs) I know you, an Arsenal fan. Now, okay, well, why don't you play anymore? I, mean, and I and I ask that as somebody that that plays in a lot of sort of like adult pickup soccer around town, which I could totally bring you to, bro. Anytime you're ready, there's a good one right of not far from where we both live. That I, that you're welcome to join.
0: Yeah, don't tempt me. That's uh, man, my love for that sport was was so strong. Um, but I, I was diagnosed with advanced arthritis in my knee, like for some random reason, when I was 43. So the doctor said, "Look, you just can't." You can't run, you can't jump. You can ride a bicycle and you can play golf and you can swim. So I've been trying to survive doing those three things ever since.
1: I thought that answer was really interesting because I don't think I've ever met another football fan that doesn't support a club team. So naturally we deemed him an Arsenal supporter and Rivers, I'm gonna send you an Arsenal kit uh, real soon. All right, moving on to Lindsay Ale. If you haven't watched that episode, you should, it's fantastic, she's great. Robin CX wants to know about, like, why she paints her guitars.
3: Yeah, so I went through a crazy phase, Chris, where I was, like, painting a guitar for every song, and I would, like, release an album, and I would, like, paint um, a guitar. I'm, I'm trying to see if I have one up here. I have one downstairs. Um, And so, yeah, I, I just would have a guitar for every different song, and it would look differently. And so um, I haven't painted a guitar in a long, long time. But I funny, she asked this, or he asked this, um... I, I am, like, getting ready to paint a, a brand new one for um, my latest song, so so we'll see what it looks like.
1: Oh, nice. So it's always sort of in conjunction with a song or an album release, something like that?
3: Usually, yeah. Now that we've been been playing a lot, I don't have, you know, time to paint a guitar for every single song, but but I, I, I love being able to, like, you know, I've, I've seen you, like, put cool stickers and stuff on your guitars I just love guitars to to have that unique identity to them and I I think so much about music is about um the feel of art and so it's like okay what if for the sake of a song or an album or whatever that that snapshot of your life is supposed to feel like what if you put that into um art in form of like painting and I am a terrible painter like I am not a good painter but it's like how hard could it be? And you just are supposed to, like, paint what you feel, you know? awesome how hard could exactly. it be? Exactly! Come on! <laughs>
1: All right, we're going to wrap this up with Nile Rodgers explaining how he put the chords together for the David Bowie classic song, Let's Dance. I got to tell you, this is one of my favorite parts of the whole interview. We're going to check out a little segment from it now, but if you want to watch the full-length, long-form version of it, head on over to volume.com slash shifty and check it out. Let's go. I loved what Bob Clearmount had done. David loved
4: it. But now you know that that was not Bob's intention to keep that on the guitar and... um uh, he was actually just getting the delay times um, of the various instruments that he was going to put th- that delay on. And when we heard it, and all of a sudden, we had this multi-tap delay thing happening when he just put the guitar through it. it was like, what? That is yeah. amazing. Oh, those we, knobs. We Perfect. Flipped, yeah, yeah we, we went bananas. We loved it. And we're yeah. like, leave it like that. We leave it like that? No, no. Because I was just playing tight with the horns. I was just playing, bit, 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 because I was Uh, running away from chucking because of the whole disco sucks thing. So I'd I'd stopped chucking. But if you, um, just for fun, if you go online and look up uh, Let's Dance um, uh, demo, that's the original uh, demo that I did in Switzerland at uh, Queen's Studio, at Mountain Studio. Oh, um, wow. I've never heard that. I got to go Yeah, back. well, well, David had written, David had written, Let's dance. And he was uh, going
5: to the sound you're playing on the radio. Let's
4: dance. And I was like, going, Whoa. He had told me that he wanted me to make a hit album for him. And I was like going, dude, that's not a hit at all. (laughs) Uh, But of course, I didn't say that. I uh, called all of his friends back in New York and said, "Um, do you think David is trying to see if I'm a sycophant? And I'm going to go, oh, wow, Mr. Bowie, that's so awesome. That's fantastic. And they said, no, he's not that kind of guy. If he told you he thinks it's a hit, he thinks it's a hit. I went, oh, shit, what do I do now? Because that ain't, that. Ain't, that is so not a hit. <laughs> so I uh, moved it up. I played it on the neck. So instead of going, I went, right? And then I went to a minor 13. Because David and I had had, this great conversation about jazz. I knew he loved jazz. I knew he was like really into the coolest stuff. So I knew that that would not offend him at all, but it still sounded dark to me. So I just moved it up a half step and went. And I thought, oh shit, how cool is that? And then I said, what What if I put it up an octave? And then I went. And I went, whoa. OK, where where are you fretting at? So I'm at the 11th fret. You know, with the note on the top is in the eleventh fret. Okay, got that so that that would that'd be the eleven. And then I play B flat minor thirteen. Right, and then I play just a straight, um, just just a straight six chord, a major six chord. The G
1: flat six. Oh, okay, okay. Okay, yeah. Oh, okay, wow. So you're, you're barring all the way across up there?
4: Yeah. Yep. And then I'm going back to a straight B flat minor seven, but playing it here.
1: Okay, where? Oh, okay, without that fourth thing in there. Okay, gotcha. When you're when you're playing that, are you thinking those chords while you're totally. doing? Totally. Well, I'm okay, going to show you the aware method
4: of what you're doing. Here, here's the method to the madness. So, here's okay. what I was thinking about. From the moment I did the arrangement, I was just thinking about smooth voice leading. So I went takes you right to the chord. Then right here, and then, right, so you go, see so play, and then, so then the rest of the song is just, right, right, so it's.
1: All right, now that we know how to play Let's Dance, note for note, perfect, let's get into some questions from you folks. The people. All right, let's see here. Brett Smith Daniels. Uh, asks, I'm aware you're touring with the Iridium for your solo shows and it inspired me to get one of my own. Do you ever use it in Foo's? The answer to that is I have never used it in the Foo Fighters, but I totally could because the Iridium's got a Marshall sound on there and a, and a Vox sound on there and that's what my setup basically is in Foo Fighters. It's Friedman's and it's Vox's. Um, so it covers some of the same ground, but you no, know, the reason that I started using the Iridium was because when I'm out doing solo shows, I just felt like you know, I'm playing in these sweaty little clubs and I'm using in-ears and from one night to the next you know, most of the time I, I, I wouldn't bring a, a, my own sound guy or anything so it's really dependent on just kind of who's there and you're rolling the dice and it would just be so inconsistent that what I was really looking for was consistency because it would drive me crazy to hear my little Princeton Reverb or my Deluxe Reverb or one of those things just kind of screwed up with different power at different amps dirty power and maybe a sound guy that didn't mic it up you know, quite right, um, and I love it. I love the Iridium. Do you like yours? Uh, I know that's becoming more and more of a thing, um, but in Foo Fighters, I have, uh, I have a wonderful road crew that sets my stuff up and loads it in and out of venues, and I don't have to do it myself, so I always figure if you don't have to load your stuff in or out, bring all of it. That's my motto, but on my little van tour, I need a little, you know, tight little loadout. It's just that much easier. Okay, Stephen Rawlings says, I know you use Amps Live. This is kind of connected to the last question. But any experience with the quad cortex or modeling? Well, I do have a fair bit of experience with modeling, like I just mentioned, because I've been using that iridium for the last, like, I don't know, eight months or so. But also on this show, I'm always plugged in for these interviews to my Line 6 Helix. And it sounds great, is not it? See, you wouldn't know that that's not an amp mic'd up, would you? That's it. Line 6 Helix. I love them. Okay, next question. Jeremy Souza wants to know, how would you describe the action you prefer on your guitars? Well, the action I like on my guitars, this guitar's actually been, uh, I haven't had on the road for a while, but it's sitting in a pretty good place. I would say I like it pretty low. But not too low. I don't like it all fret buzzy low, and I do like it to have a little fight in it, but uh, but not too much fight. So you know, I don't know about like yay. I don't know the exact measurement, but uh, pretty low, pretty easy. I play tens, you know. So I don't like super light strings, but I don't like them super heavy either because I want to be able to you know do a lot of string bending type stuff. So yeah, I'd, uh, I'd like you know nice kind of average low action. That's what I would say. Okay, Daniel Horner asks, are you precious about your favorite guitars? What's the worst damage you've done to your guitars on stage, accidentally, or otherwise? I'm not really precious about my guitars. I mean, certain guitars, if it's something nice and it's vintagey, you know, then yeah, of course, you know, you want to kind of baby it a little bit. But I do like taking them out on the road. And in my younger years, especially when I first joined Foo Fighters, I just didn't have a lot of guitars. So I bought a bunch of guitars in a short amount of time. And I kind of purposely bought stuff that were just good workhorse guitars that you didn't worry about scratching them up with your belt buckle or dropping them. Um, but probably the worst accident, and well, not accident, but just kind of mishap that ever happened on stage. I remember this guy that was working for us for a minute got me uh, an explorer, I think, from Gibson. And and things weren't going well at the show, and I was having some amp problems, and my amp kept cutting out. And I had just gotten this guitar, and, uh, and, and I mean, I felt terrible afterwards because this was totally stupid and really didn't help. But it came to a, a song, I think it was This Is a Call, where it goes to just me playing that bow, and you know, this thing. That part, it came to that, and it's just me and the drums, and the band turns and looks at me, and my amp was out. So I was, I'm like sitting there going, and I just panicked and I grabbed the guitar and I took it off and I just threw it at the wall and it just was like kablam and it just exploded. And, uh, and uh, yeah, our guitar tech was pretty mad at me. All right, Rick Van Humbeek wants to know, which pickups are installed in your Tele Deluxe? I know you have these custom shiftlet pickups in the Fender CS Artist Series Telly, but I suppose you use a JB or something similar in your own Tellys. Well, that's a very good question because those pickups that we put together for my signature model, I've, if I'm not mistaken, were modeled after like a JB 59 setup because I had that in a lot of guitars at that time. And, and those Seymour uh, Duncan pickups are obviously fantastic. But probably my favorite pair of pickups that I ever stuck in one of those things because I got a lot, you know, obviously it's my signature g- guitar. I, I have a bunch of them and I had so many of them that I thought, let's just make each one of these sound different. So I put different pickups in every single one of them. And I think my favorite setup were some Tom Holmes PAFs, man. Those things really sing. Super big. You hear every note with one those Tom Holmes. If You can get your hands on a Tom Holmes. I highly, highly recommend it. Okay. Johan Pearson asks, Favorite pedal and how it contributes to your solo sounds, or simply put, why do you like it? That is a question I get asked all the time, and I don't have a great answer because it's, you know, can you really pick just one pedal? You know, you kind of have to have a boost, kind of have to have a delay, and for most of my setups, I gotta have an overdrive. Now, I could get away with with none of those, but uh, I would like to have all of them, and then I need a little color because I need a phaser. You know, or I need a flanger, I need something like that. I'd go with uh, with an EP boost to boost your solos. I'd go with an MXR carbon copy. Is a nice, simple, easy to work delay. I'd go with a phase 90. And I'd go with, uh, well, you, overdrives are kinda all over the shop. I've used red snappers a lot. Right now I have a, 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 a Wampler Tumnus on my solo board. On my Foo Fighter board, I have a KTR. I don't know. So it's, 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 it's the, the real answer to that question is put like 15 pedals on your pedal board and go to the races. That's what I do. That's what I would suggest. Hey, you're listening to Shred with Shifty. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Okay, Mark Tomko wants to know where to get a solid G or B Bender installed on a telly and tips on how to play it effectively. Well, I'll tell you what, I have a B Bender um, that started its life as just a kind of run-of-the-mill American-made telly that Fender had given me a while ago, and I, I took it in to uh, Joe Glazer's place out in Nashville and got that Joe Glazer B Bender mod, which it, I think is like kind of the go-to B-Bender Modification, or you can buy the the classic Gene Parsons version. I know Fender makes a version of that. Um, you could probably buy it direct from him too. I don't know. I'm not really the guy to ask on tips on how to play it effectively, because I'm not very good at it. I have one. As a matter of fact, I have it right here. Hold on. As you can see, I have one that I got the Joe Glazer mod on. But I have never really incorporated this into like playing it night after night after night and getting really comfortable with it and getting any good at it. I'm, I'm pretty terrible at it, if I'm being honest. Yeah, it's cool. I dig this thing. Basically anywhere where you can bend a whole step. That sort of thing. But then you can also get cool stuff like, you know. And then, you know, stuff like and then it falls off. See, I've never incorporated this into my daily routine, but one of these days uh, it's, you know, it's on my, it's on that list with like my banjo, my mandolin, my dobro. It's all those things, my pedal steel, that one of these days I'm just gonna spend a whole lot of time with, I'm gonna get really comfortable with, but hasn't happened yet. Angel Morgan. Uh, is asking about my Jazzmaster. He said, is that a guitar that is going to stay in the rotation? And if so, what are the things you like about it? I'll tell you what I like about that Jazzmaster I've been playing. Well, I got a couple of them because I played Greg Kirsten's Jazzmaster quite a bit on the new Foo record. And I didn't have one. And it's got, you know, Jazzmaster's got a very specific sound to it. So it seems like it lends itself well to, to the new songs. And um, it sounds great coming through that vox. Dig it so will it stay in the rotation? I don't know. You know, it is with guitars you kind of come in and out of uh, you, you play this one thing a lot and then you switch to something else, and then a few years later, yeah, oh, what about that Jazz Master? So, I don't know, we'll see. Victor Job wants to know about my amp switching for the foos. What kind of switching system are you using? Well, I've got an RJM uh switcher. Can't remember what it's called, but Dave Friedman built it, and it's great. I love it. I go A, B, in between the Friedman and the Vox quite a bit throughout the course of the show, and uh, it's super easy, and I can program songs in it. And so, if, you know, for one song, I might have four or five different patches with some very specific, you know, uh, effect pedal changes and scene changes. And so now, instead of having to press two or three or four things kind of at the same time, I can just press one little button. Boom. Instant tone. He also said, can we be best friends and can I be your roadie? No on both counts. Okay, this next question is from somebody that seems a little familiar. His name's The Jaren. And he says, why are you playing Brad Paisley's guitar? He's referring to my Paisley Telecaster. And the reason I'm playing that Paisley Telecaster, Jaren, is because you wouldn't give me one of your flying Vs. So I'm waiting. And when that shows up, I'll switch it out. Thanks, buddy. Okay, Mr. Bob Music asks, what's your stage volume like and what's your mix in the wedges uh, slash in-ears? Now, that is a great question because I, I have to tell you, I've recently uh, dramatically reduced my stage volume. I have it as quiet as I can get away with and still get the tone I want, which is like on the Friedman under 2 you know, it's probably like one and a half on the volume. I'd say roughly like that, and um, and then I just you know balanced the, the Vox to sit kind of in the same place. And the reason that I did that is because when we were rehearsing, getting ready to tour, um, I was uh, I couldn't I couldn't turn my my amp down in my in ears because I'm wearing in ears nowadays. And I finally realized after years of our sandman, Telling me this, it finally sunk in. My amps were too damn loud. So apparently they were like, I think I was compensating all those years of wearing earplugs by just having my my amps pinned. But I had to turn the amps down so that I could hear my vocal, because otherwise there was no way to get that imbalance. And now I love it. It's great. It's like sounds so much better. Uh, I highly recommend it and I don't use wedges my wedges aren't on at all It's just all coming through the ears, which is um, which I hated when they first came out And I love and can't live without now love it It's like listening to to a live album of your band every single night. Just like perfectly mixed It's the best Buckley Wayne wants to know what was your first guitar? Okay? This is something I need your help with out there. I need you folks to do a little inter- internet research because my first guitar, the first guitar I learned on was my brother's old Epiphone Acoustic, right? But then my mom, when I was probably like 11 or something, bought me a Takamini Explorer shape. And at the time, I thought that it was, uh, uh, it's basically like, looked like a copy of an Aria Pro 2, but... Looking back, I go, well, were those the same company? And I just didn't know it. I don't know. It was that same shape. It was black. It was like a small little explorer. And I had that for a couple of years and then sold it when I was in about 10th grade. And I bought this Black Les Paul from from my friend Jay Duff, who uh, was a a classmate of mine in high school. Uh, This thing has been through everything with me. This played like almost every high school gig I ever did it used to have um, it used to have a pickguard on it uh, the pickups I'd sw- out a million times it didn't say shifty up there like it does now um, and, uh, and it didn't have any of this wear and tear and I put all, I wore all that paint off the neck myself. Um, and when I joined Foo Fighters, this was the only functional guitar that I had. So this toured constantly in those early years being at Foo's and at a certain point I retired it from the road cause I got nervous about it, but I'm going to bring it back because I'll tell you what, when I turned 50, Pat Smear Bought me the nicest birthday present, nicest present period. I think anybody ever got me because the pickups had been swapped out so many times. I had no idea, you know, whatever happened to the original ones. So he went out. Well, let me back up a little bit. Pat Smear bought this exact guitar a few years ago and pulled it out of the case, and I was like, my eyes bugged out of my head. I couldn't believe it. I was like, that's it's an '82 Black Beauty Les Paul. It's not a particularly collectible uh, guitar or anything, but somehow he found one, not because he knew that I had one, but he just happened to buy one, and it was exactly the same as mine, but mint. So we started talking about it, and I was telling him how I didn't take it on tour anymore and had retired it from the road. So he went out and found me period correct pickups, which are in this now, and it sounds great. And, uh, and I put those in there and, and got it cleaned up and, um, and I am going to return this thing to touring because, you know, you have to take these things on the road. You can't just keep them in a closet. But um, you know what I love about this guitar too? Why didn't this catch on? Look at that. Look at that. You pop that thing right out. Here, you know, that's out of focus. But you pop that thing out and it's a built-in string winder. That's like the best guitar invention that never took off. Love it. <laughs> 82 Black Beauty. Shermzilla wants to know what's your warm-up routine before a show. Does it change depending on who you're playing with? Example: Do you warm up differently for a Foo Fighter show versus a solo show? Yeah, it is different because, um, like with everything else, you know, with Foos, we have a big, you know, wonderful team of people that help us get from point point A to point B. And so, before one of our shows, um, I, you know, have the luxury of getting to just kind of relax and strum my guitar and maybe sing a little bit and try to get my voice warmed up. And and that's kind of what I do for maybe the hour or so before we play. I'll just kind of strum guitar and noodle around and nothing real specific and not like any, like, you know, I'm not like sitting there practicing scales. Or anything like that, but I just like to have a guitar in my hands. Whereas with a solo show, um, I mean, I, I like to do more or less the same thing. I just don't have, you know, the, I'm a little more involved in like setting up the stage and making sure everything's working, and then I'm trying to go like and do that whole thing and get ready to play. So it's it's a little, uh, or I should say, a lot less relaxed. Um, but yeah, it's the same idea. It's just if you just if you just strum a little, sing a little. It's good to kind of, you know, get yourself loose and maybe stretch your legs a little bit before you get out there and, and, and try to perform. Okay, we're gonna do one more question here and it is from Jason W.W. White. And he asks me to show us the lead lick to under you. It seems you play it different. Uh, no, it seems you play it in different positions on the neck at the intro versus the outro. Okay, I'll show you what I did. Well, I think this is what I did on the record. You know, we've been playing it live a little bit, so it's probably evolved some. So you're basically, you know, the song's in A. And uh, and I am down here, you know, kind of playing out of this for the end of the minor, F-sharp minor pentatonic or A major, you know, however you want to look at it. And I'm playing one of these little widly widly bands. And I might even... The high E's kind of ringing through a lot of it. I'm just kind of trying to play it kind of sloppy, you know? And I'm bending up, and I'm letting it come back down. I'm letting all the notes kind of ring out. And then I'm hitting that like a double stop. Right there, and then... And then back to the bend. Back to that double stop again. And then the F sharp. And that is like the... Uh, C sharp and the high E, so you know. So you get that whole thing going, and then you're right for the outro. I just move it up an octave. Still got that high E jangling, but I'm doing it up
5: here.
1: And then it starts doing that little repeating thing where you're throwing in the uh, you're throwing in this note. Here so we go. close it out with a big and don't forget the song starts without all right thanks for hanging with me today hope you dug it we'll be back in two weeks with Richie Sambora in his first ever podcast interview where we're going to tackle the solo from one a dead or alive it's great make sure you tune in I'll see you soon adios amigos Shred with Shifty is created and hosted by me, Chris Shiplett, and produced in partnership with Double Elvis, Volume.com, and Premier Guitar. If you're digging the show, make sure you hit that follow or subscribe button so you get our new episodes when they come out every other week. Volume.com is a free platform with live stream performances, concert broadcasts, and a video archive that includes performances by Brothers Osborne, Stone Temple Pilots, Dirks Bentley, Weezer, and more. Shred with Shifty is produced by Jason Shadrick. Our executive producers are Brady Sadler and Jake Brennan for Double Elvis. Engineering support by Matt Tahaney and Matt Bowden. Our video editors are Dan Stefano and Addison Savan. Special thanks to Chris Peterson, Greg Necron, and the entire Volume.com crew. Adios, amigos.